Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. In this episode, we speak with Phil Harper, PhD student at the Sports Technology Institute. Phil worked with British Rowing in a science and technology capacity until recently when he started his current research project with rowing data acquisition and management. He tells us about the sport in general and enhancements that have been brought about by technology. For more information, check out our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com, and remember to follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. This is Henry and today our guest is Phil Hartfield. He's a research student at the Sports Technology Institute. And um, Phil, first of all, welcome. Thank you for, uh, for joining me. No, it's um, nice, nice to be here. Thanks, Henry. Uh, would you like to start by just giving us a, a brief introduction to yourself and your, your academic background and, and how you ended up here? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm 37 now, so I've spent a little bit of time away from sport before I got to this point. I spent uh, four years of a master's engineering in electronics in Bristol. Mm-hmm. Um, that became a, a career in IT consultancy for about seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, but alongside all that, I was always a, an athlete in terms of rowing. Uh, rower. I just loved, loved my sport. Um, and my wife convinced me to become a rowing coach as opposed to going to the, the office, going to the IT every day. So I spent three years as a rowing coach with British Rowing and realised I wanted to know more, so I went to do a master's in applied sports science, um, at which point I was given an opportunity uh, to do a research project for the British rowing team uh, into GPS tracking devices. Um, that went very well, passed my course, and they offered me a role of British rowing. And I became, it was, it was a timing thing really, the previous biomechanist left, they had a big hole they needed filling and I fitted the hole quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent three years up to London, the London Olympics, working with um, Paul Thompson and Jürgen's crews up to the London Olympics. Um, and then following that, my, I guess we collect a lot of biomechanical data from the athletes. Mm-hmm. And what we wanted to do was understand the data more. It's more about collecting it unless you're making best use of it or feeding it back to the athletes the most effective way. That's perhaps our weakness which spurred the concept of having a, going for a, a research project, a PhD. Okay. And that's why I've come to Loughborough um, with my links with the team. It's, it's an exciting opportunity. Yeah, great. So uh, is, your, is your work now working on some of the data that they have? We've got two years of data that we could mine. Mm-hmm. We could look at historical stuff. Um, in the same way, we could also put more sensors on the boat, uh, collect data in a different way and look at new data we've, we've got the option there um, mm-hmm. so when it's when we're training we probably use the live data for feedback systems but at the same time it makes sense to look at our successful crews and say what were they doing and what are the new crop of athletes coming in what they look like biomechanically and you know use both sets of data in in this sport it's i don't know it seems to me a very equipment heavy sport there's lots of mechanical things like uh, bearings and sliding things and hinges and, and such. And then also, of course, boats. And is, is, that, is that sort of technical side of it, is that still very much under development? Or is that very, would you say that's, I don't know, reined in by, by regulations now? Are, are they kind of at the limit or is there still more that can be done? The regulations for racing from FISA, which is the world governing body, they will, they'll say categorically, you have to use equipment that's commercially available. 
So there's no chance of a, of a crew turning up with a boat that no one's seen before or mm -hmm. had the opportunity to purchase. So in that sense, everyone's on a level playing field. In terms of could a boat be optimised, could the new commercial boat become available with better hydrodynamics, uh, yeah. more, com more your field, isn't it? The, yeah. the, the computation of the perfect shape of a hull, mm -hmm. I guess comes down to how much money's in the sport. In sailing, you have the financing to, to optimise that, not so much in the rowing world. So uh, I guess we're as optimal as, as is demand for the equipment is out there. Mm -hmm. It is a level playing field, so it's, it's good. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard that, that type of regulation before, that all okay. has to be purpose-bought. That's interesting. It's kind of like that one, actually. People try and bend the rules a little bit, and if you really... There are grey areas, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, the Australians have a little monitoring device in the boat to capture uh, the hull dynamics. Oh, really? Uh, and we can buy a version of it, but we can't buy their version of it. So mm -hmm. the, the regulations, yeah, they, they're a bit fuzzy, but it works. Yeah. From a technology standpoint, that must be where a lot of the gains can be had or the differentiation is, is, is in the training aids. And, and I guess what you're doing in, in like looking at biomechanics is yeah, performance monitoring like that. You're right, it's, it's the training arena where we can do what we like mm -hmm. and hopefully yeah, prepare the athletes better for the race day. Mm -hmm. And then race day, hopefully everyone's on the same level playing field. Yeah. Preparation will then hopefully pay dividends. Yeah, is, is, there that, is there that general sense that everyone is on a level, level playing field when, when they set foot in the boat? <laughs> is, I guess, do the regulations work well like that? Or? Yeah. I've, yeah, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I guess there are diff different teams, say the, the Germans, Australians, the Kiwis, the British. There's a, probably a bigger funding system in place. Mm -hmm. And then the funding system allows more athletes to be developed over a longer period of time. So I guess the playing field is a little bit less fair in that sense in terms of the preparation. Oh, right. But on race day, it's just eight guys or four guys in a boat, the same boat. Mm -hmm. So yeah, any you know, in theory, anyone could could uh, yeah could win that race. But uh, yeah, yeah. So it's all down to the training. So what's been the, the biggest change in terms of training or training aids that you've seen develop over the years? Well, I mean, we go back a few years. It was probably ninety two, ninety three when they changed the shape of the the rowing blade. All right, which is a pretty massive development. Someone decided that the traditional, they call it a macon, which was a, a regular shape, top and bottom, mm -hmm. looked like a spoon. Okay. They changed that into what they call a hatchet or a big blade um, to collect more surface area. You know, there's more surface area being collected. Well, there's more water being uh, applied against. Right. Now, was that... <laughs> this isn't my area at all, but if you look at the lift and drag on the surface of the blade, someone worked out around that time that a big mm -hmm. blade was better than a traditional Macon blade. Mm -hmm. and before that, you had these long pencil blades. Mm -hmm. So that's oh, a, I've that's seen a, I've seen pictures of those. Yeah, back in back in back in the day before the before the wars and things, <laughs> long pencil blades. And then what happens as soon as one nation adopts a new bit of technology, mm -hmm. very quickly everyone starts following. It's it's difficult to prove a technology, so people prefer to have the same technology to right. eliminate the risk that they're at a disadvantage. Yeah. So that was a that was a big change. Mm -hmm. 
And then I guess in the last sort of 10 years, certainly in the UK, the, the, the lottery funding has had a big impact upon the professionalism of our sport. Mm -hmm. You go from the days where we're winning one gold medal at Olympics and there's only one potential top flight crew, you now have a whole field of crews. We, the, the British were competitive in 13 of the 14 events at the Games, which is it's a huge step change, and that comes from funding and support systems and the sports science behind, mm -hmm. behind the team. There's a massive team behind the team. Uh, that's the, the new EIS strapline, that's the team behind the team. <laughs> You're talking physios, psychologists, strength conditioning, nutritionists, uh, performance analysts, performance lifestyle, biomechanics. It's, it's a massive team, and that all needs funding. Yeah, right. But it, each each block does make a percentage change to the overall mm. overall performance. Has there been one one technological advancement that's helped the team behind the team more? Like in a, maybe it's I don't know performance monitoring or, or the GPS tracking. Oh, I'm not sure whether there is one piece of kit that you could say has made this difference. I think oh. What's your What's your favorite? <laughs> Well, I'm an electronics and software guy, right? So it's exciting seeing data and graphs and stats on the actual individual athlete. Mm -hmm. Is there something that, that you collect while maybe maybe if not while racing, but while while training out on the water? You, you are you able to collect like forces and and yeah. displacements and things? We we collect vast amounts of data. Mm. It's, in the old days. Probably talking in the eighties, you started getting commercial impeller-based devices, which were measuring boat speed. All right. So as the boat hull moves through the water, the impeller turns. Mm -hmm. Turn every every turn is about four centimeters or four millimeters or something. Okay. And you scale it up, and you can get velocities, mm -hmm. and then you can feed that back to the athlete of how fast they're going and how many strokes per minute they're taking. Mm -hmm. That was the really the the, the basic stuff that arrived yeah, in the eighties. The, the first. Performance tracking and rowing. Yeah, step into the yeah. electronic world, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, and probably over the last 10, 15 years, well, the Germans were first at doing this. They first captured a force trace mm -hmm. on, on the pin for, for an athlete rowing. The pin, pin being the thing that holds the oar in place. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you've got an outboard rigger yeah. and a pin, and then a long oar that locks into the, into the gate and you apply force through the handle, which is transmitted through the pin and into the water. Mm -hmm. So if you pick force up on the pin, you get a good representation of how much work is being done okay. by the athlete. And yeah, this, this was the first done probably around 100 years ago. Oh, right. And we're talking practically, yeah, it was recorded to a, a digital, uh, sorry, an analog tape. Okay. And someone then will read out the data points and plot them by hand. So we've got early traces from those days. Hmm. But those days are gone. Yeah. We could now just plug in some off the shelf technology that you know we can collect we could collect every stroke from every athlete for every session for the whole season if we wanted it's mm -hmm. it's, it's that simple to get the data these days mm -hmm. and that's a big step forward yeah yeah i guess the the, the challenge is then analyzing like you say and uh yeah. giving reasonable feedback absolutely absolutely um so we wherever possible i guess that's the competitive edge that we're looking for Mm -hmm. The more clearly we can relay information to coaches and athletes um, and interpret it to say, if you change parameter X in your technical style, that will give you a performance gain, so let's work in that area and let's track that one parameter until it's 
optimized, mm-hmm. and that will make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think one thing that that we see, and um, a lot of the people that that we've spoken with, uh, is that the the technology is kind of replacing intuition and. Um, I want to say experience, but that sounds a bit negative, but it, it's kind of replacing the, the, I don't know, the, the, the guessing and, and the feeling aspect of, of getting good form and things. And, and so presumably with this, you're also trying to step away from conventional knowledges of, of good form and, and good technique and go take a more scientific approach to really identify the, the parameters in, in the technique or form or biomechanics that you can adjust and their effect on the end result and just to kind of focus on specific things rather than... Then yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the coach has always, in his past, he's always looked, he's always used his, his main tool to looking at a crew will be his eyes. Yeah, right. And he'll listen and you know, he'll look at the hull of the boat, how it's moving. Mm-hmm. And there's only, there is only so much you can pick up with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the data does unlock the actual facts mm-hmm. behind the dark art of coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have to build up a relationship and gain confidence with the coach that the data you're providing is, is valid and relevant, mm-hmm. and then have a, have a mutual discussion around what the data means and interpreting it to then give it back to the coach, to take back to the athlete, to, to, to make the make the training performance. Yeah. Can you think of a can you think of an example where you've seen technology either either you personally or in the in the in the field or on the water seen seen technology be able to pick out something that hasn't really been observed with with the naked eye or in in traditional experience and sight based coaching? But there are a couple of guys in the squad who you look at them from the side on and they look exactly the same as the guy in front. Mm-hmm. But they will be doing quite dramatically different things in comparison to each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I challenge anyone, any coach or rowing expert through a blind experiment to look at two, these two athletes and say, I think this one's force curve will look like this and this mm-hmm. one will look like that. We haven't done that study, but it would be interesting to see whether the naked eye can pick up mm-hmm. what is actually a massive difference between two athletes. Yeah, have the technology now. We have we have the the facts to play with, which does open up a playing field. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a lot of possibilities. Do you think um, do you think the rowing community is relatively open to new technologies and advancements, or do you think it's a more traditional mindset? From experience within the Great Britain team, if it's out there, they want it. Oh, great. <laughs> Very much so. And typically it just comes down to, but can we afford it? Mm-hmm. Although people say there's a mega budget behind the team, but you factor in the equipment, the manpower, the, res- the, the facilities, the travel, the, the, it comes down very quickly to a small budget of, and this is our R&D or our technology budget. So I'd say absolutely, if it's, if it's out there and the coaches believe it's useful, they want it, particularly if they know the opposition's got it, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. So what, what sort of enhancements can you get by taking a biomechanical approach to analyzing the sport? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit to, I probably joined the team in 2009, mm-hmm. so it's, it's about four years ago now, and I asked myself the same question. There's these systems out there with collecting all this data, 
but why are we collecting the data? Why is it useful to the team? And uh, between us, we came up with probably four or five reasons why you would collect biomechanical, biomechanical data. Mm -hmm. And here they go. The, the, the coaches love the concept of physiological monitoring. So they, the athlete would go out and row 2,000 metres as a, as a training piece. Mm -hmm. And we can then plot a graph of how many watts each athlete was producing throughout that piece. So you can see if someone fades or someone's worked hard in the middle. Yeah. Or just, just out of curiosity, yeah, what, yeah. what does a, a professional rower do for a, a training pace for 2,000 metres in terms of watts or, or time? Or? The easiest measure is time. Mm -hmm. um, I think the world record 2K agometer on concept two is around 540 mark. Okay. Which I haven't got the pacing in. It's pretty in, quick. It's way beyond <laughs> any, yeah, any dreams I might have of achieving that. Is that. That's a minute quicker than myself who's a club rower. That's, mm -hmm. that's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, and I think they've gone below 540 now. Wow. In terms of watts, it's a little bit difficult to... To, to talk about wattage because it's a it's a cyclical sport so right. you have half half the stroke in the water working half the stroke out the water so do you look at the stroke time or do you look at the the period they're actually in the water but uh, they're they're yeah. big powerful guys that's for sure yeah. and the coaches want to know how hard they're working mm -hmm. they can measure them on land but they now want to know what went into that effort from each individual component athlete for that performance mm -hmm. so we can give them that data Second thing we might use the system for uh, would be an obvious one, would be technical improvements. So we talked about the, the Germans analysing in real time the, the bell shape of the curve. If there is a specific thing we identify that athlete needs to work on, be it stroke length, be it force production, the point of force application, we can, we can look to make a technical change. Mm -hmm. um, Crews tend to get put together around this time of year that the, the internal trials have happened, so you end up perhaps with four new athletes put together in a crew, and it's quick and easy to align them in terms of when they're applying the force, their stroke lengths and things. Again, use the biomech for that. Mm -hmm. um, and we can also look at long-term trends. So in 2010, an athlete's profiles looked like this, Mm -hmm. And then the following year, for some reason, they fall off on their right hand or at the finish. And what's happened there? And you might then correlate that with some physio data. And you might then find that there is actually a medical issue that's cropped up. Oh, that's interesting. It's come that's out of the use. data. Um, so we bring the two fields together, the two sciences, our data and the physio data. And you can hopefully catch an injury before it happens mm -hmm. so one of the big pushes is about keeping the athlete training more so if you the less days an athlete has injured per year the more likely they are yeah, to, to arrive on the start date start on the start line in in one piece yeah oh, that's cool yeah. yeah and there's one more which perhaps you'd use more of a club level is crew selection mm -hmm. so you can you can grade people top so you've got you've got 10 athletes you need to pick eight you can get a ranking based on their their land performances and their technical contribution. Mm -hmm. So there's that's what we came up with, and that's kind of our raison d'etre for using biomechanics, mm -hmm. and that's, that's helped. Is there anything that you'd identify as frontier of technology development in uh, in rowing? I guess I mean, 
it's your work. Well, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're on the cutting edge every day as a research student. So. Well, I, I guess you know as well as I do that research, you become so narrow in the little bit of specifics that you're working in. You know, I'd like to think that my research is, is going to make a difference to crews, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps I'll share a little bit about what I'm doing here. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah please. I mean, the concept is we, we collect so much data, let's make more use of the data. Let's understand which parameters we should be adjusting, which parameters need tuning. But alongside that, we're looking at ways of getting that data to the athletes in real time mm -hmm. on the boat. Um, so, the, again, I talked about the Germans. In fact, they've typically been ahead of the game here. They have a, a non-commercial system for providing real-time feedback mm -hmm. to, to the athletes and the coaches in the boat. So if they, if they can point in advance to, we want to work on this area of your force trace or your peak power production, and the athlete can go out and work on it on a stroke-by-stroke -stroke basis. Yeah. So I guess they can, they can look at each rower in the boat and see which one has maybe, maybe at the very end of, of the stroke, there's a little loss in power, and they can kind of point to that athlete and, yeah. and say, like, we need you to focus on this bit of your yeah. technique. So that, that's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And typically, the, talking to the Germans, what they've suggested is a false po profile would typically look like a bell shape. Okay. So if you are sequencing your legs, your trunk, and your upper body well, mm -hmm. you'll get a nice smooth bell shape. But the athletes that they like to work on their, for their feedback training are the ones where the sequencing isn't quite right, and this bell shape has a nasty kink at the top of the bell. So mm. you get a kink instead, and mm -hmm. clearly in that area, it's more beneficial to have a smooth power production or force production rather than you know, a, a squiggly one. So, yeah. uh, sorry, I'm not being very technical. <laughs> squiggly is fine. <laughs> um, so that's the way that they rectify these 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 problems, and as a result, they did extremely well in the big boats at the Olympics, mm -hmm. um, and we're hoping if we can have a similar or potentially a more advanced system mm -hmm. going forward for providing feedback and a clever way of using the feedback system, you know, we can, we can have a gain as well. Ah, oh, great. That's the strategy. That's the plan, yeah. Yeah, and uh, personally, from in my area, I feel that's where we, could take the tech, we can take the sport forward. Mm -hmm. Clearly, if you talk to a physiologist, you'll get a different answer, <laughs> or S&C, you'll get a different answer, but... That's my area, so... Uh, Very good. Well, is, are there any, um, any websites or, or other sources of information our listeners could go to if they wanted to learn more about technology and rowing? Or Well, Great Britain Rowing have the gbrowingteam.org.uk. Mm -hmm. That's their team website. You look at all the athlete profiles, where we're going racing, the results, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. I also know of a website called highperformancerowing.net. I think mm -hmm. it is. Put in highperformancerowing.net into Google and find it. Right. Um, and that has a load of articles on particular high-profile coaches, um, a section on biomechanics. Mm -hmm. um, look at the FISA website as well. What, uh, what is that? I think it's worldrowing.com. Okay. And they have equipment sections in there that you can look at the conferences that have happened in the past and I know the last conference they were looking at um, particularly instrumentation systems mm -hmm. so for instance there's a new product from Australia called the uh, the Croker Ore so there's you buy a whole new ore and inside it's got a data logger All right. included so yeah. have a look at those sort of things but uh, there's hunt around there's plenty out there yeah it sounds like there's a lot of uh, a lot of good science in the sport 
I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your time. Been fun. Yeah. Thank you, Phil. And thanks, listeners, for listening. For more information and some of the links that Phil mentioned, go to our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com. And remember to follow us at Sports Tech Pod. Thanks. Bye.